I'm Ryan Tide. And I'm Nicole Barlow. And I'm Brandon. And this is Soundtrack Your Life, where we talk to a guest about a soundtrack that they feel connected to. Today we have Brad from the Pop Culture Yearbook Podcast. Welcome, Brad. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Brad, why don't you tell us a little bit about Pop Culture Yearbook? All right. Uh, so, Pop Culture Yearbook is a podcast where we... Um, we love music and we love movies. And so it's me and it's two of my best friends, but there's actually like three and a half of us because the guy that started it with me decided not to do it after we started. So he comes on every once in a while, but we all go way back and we love music and we, we love movies and we probably quote movies to an annoying degree, but because of our memories and all that, we, we love to go back and talk about it. And so what we do is we usually take uh, for each month, we take one, year to focus on so like for example 2002 and then we each pick something that we remember from that year that was important that we liked and we we go re-watch it we re-listen to it whatever it was and then we come on and we talk about it and in every episode we also usually have a like a top five um that we create based on uh like an associated topic to the movie or the album or what we've been doing this last uh season is uh, we we do drafting which is makes a little more fun because then we have to choose and don't always get the ones that you want and so we um we talk about a movie and then we make a draft or we talk about an album and then we make a draft and um, we go back and forth and we have a lot of fun doing it and we've got i think 120 some episodes now so hopefully there's something out there that that would be uh you'd be able to find a lot of different stuff a lot of tv movies and music and hopefully it'd be something you'd be interested in listening to and just FYI, listeners, Brad has the best taste. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I, well, definitely when it comes to music, I think I'm definitely kind of on my island there. They're much more of the mainstream. And so. Yeah, when I see your draft polls, I'm like, oh, what did Brad pick? Yep. Brad has the best taste. <laughs> thank you. Brad also has an excellent podcast voice, which makes me really envious. <laughs> well, that makes me really happy because I hate my voice and I always feel like it's not good for this particular hobby, but... <laughs> I think so, we all do. I think we all question, like, why did I yeah. enter this medium Thank again? You. But you just made my day. I don't even care what you say about the movie. Now we can fight about beautiful girls. Yeah. yeah. So today we're going to talk about the 1996 Ted Demi film, Beautiful Girls. So, Brad, why are we talking about Beautiful Girls today? All right. Well, I have a lot of reasons. Um, so, you know, this is focused on the soundtrack. So I love the soundtrack and I got so many things I could say here. I don't know where to start. But to me, in the, the 90s was a time where there was just every movie had a great soundtrack and there were so many I loved. So the Fairley Brothers movies like Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin, and they all had good songs in them. And there was a movie called The Commitments in the early 90s that I loved. And Reality Bites was huge. And even Austin Powers had a great soundtrack. And I could go on and on. Um, there's so many that I love, and maybe I should have picked a different one. But um, there's so many good ones, and I owned them all. And I was in high school and college in the 90s. And I, I am from a small town in Minnesota. And I went to college at Augsburg College, which is in Minneapolis. And it was a three-hour drive. And so I would go home all the time. And I would just listen to CDs. I'd have my little CD case, my CD, portable CD player with the tape plugged in, you know. And I would just listen to things over and over again. And a couple of these soundtracks just really stuck with me. Um, this is one of them. 
Um, my, my second choice was for this was the movie Swingers, which wouldn't have been a better choice, it sounds like. Um, but these two, those two movies just in particular, I really like lumped together. They came out in the same year. They both have a great soundtrack. They both have a band who's in the movie, who's on the soundtrack. They both have guys playing Sega hockey, which I played a lot of video games. Um, and so there's a lot of commonalities between them. Um, and I feel like the soundtracks too, they both have like a, a range of like older music and newer music and like different kinds of stuff on there that helps to create a good vibe for what that movie was trying to go for. Um, couple other things, it's a really Gen X movie and that would describe me very much to the core. I feel like it's a cult classic, which is underappreciated. You guys hadn't seen it, so you may agree with me that it's a cult classic to some people, but not the underappreciated part. Uh, and finally, the last thing I'll say is it was filmed in Minnesota. It was filmed in Stillwater, mostly. And so being from Minnesota, we are very like territorial. We love stuff that's here. We, we take ownership of it. And so I love a lot of the scenes in it. It's set in the winter. There's snow. It's a small town like I grew up in. It's about this guy who moved away and is coming back. I related to him very much in that way, like going to a reunion. So I really connected to it for all those reasons. Um, but the soundtrack was just something I just kept listening to over and over again, um, especially in my car, driving back and forth. So now, that... do you remember, because we talk a lot about the power mm -hmm. of CDs as yes. a format on the show, because I feel like so many of the soundtracks that people are connected to, especially people that are more Gen X, um, Ryan and I are kind of like on that cusp between the two, the two gens. So, you know, we certainly have like visors full of CDs in mm -hmm. our Honda Civics and whatnot. Um, but do you remember buying that CD, like the physical act of going in and being like, I love this movie, I'm going to buy the CD? I don't, but I, so at that time I was working at Best Buy, I was in college and I was working at Best Buy in the music department. And so basically I stocked CDs all day. That's what I did. And it was a great job because I love music and I just love to hold CDs and look at CDs and, and everything. So I'm sure I must have bought it after work one day and taken it home with me from there. But I don't, a lot of them I would remember, but that one I don't specifically remember like paying for and, and leaving with. I love that you worked at the Best Buy, though. That alone is a great throwback. Oh, it's great. That actually fits really well with the uh, whole 90s thing. I definitely do think that music was so much more important, just like in pop culture in the 90s and took more of a front seat in like, you know, the movie making industry. And so I think that's why there are so many good soundtracks from that era. They took a little bit more risk, like the people who are selecting songs were maybe a little bit more making or had the license to make more artistic choices than just like, you know, um, choices based on like money making. And I think the public was a lot more open to that mm -hmm. too. You know, it was definitely like a moment in time. Like think about how many movies in the nineties were set in record stores and, you know, focused on music from like a storytelling perspective. Right. So I definitely agree. The nineties are very rich for like great soundtracks. Yeah. And what I, what I do feel like is important is, you know, there's this whole kind of genre of nineties movies, like, you know, like you said, um, Brad from like reality bites to singles to beautiful girls that are all about like groups of friends, essentially they're and they're kind of ramshackle and indie and not manufactured. They're not glossy films. Um, and they feel very lived in and that's kind of what's cool about them. They have the same sort of aesthetic quality and their soundtracks have kind of the same tonality to them. And I think that's kind of what people go back to because they feel they feel very lived in. 
yeah i think speaking of being like not glossy a lot of these movies weren't like big budget movies but they would spend a huge amount of their budget on the music showing like so dazed and confused is another one i've written down which we just did an episode on that and i mean that's a huge soundtrack and it's all these old songs but it costs like i think it was a quarter of the budget or more just to get those songs in the movie and so obviously the soundtrack was a big big part of that whole thing yeah and i Mm -hmm. feel like the soundtrack is a big part of this film as well yeah i agree out you know obviously there's sweet caroline which everybody knows which is an important part of the except film. Except for Uma Thurman. Um, but, except for Uma Thurman. Who somehow doesn't know the opening bars to Sweet Caroline, but that's fine. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> that was really I was weird. not that was familiar like... with that song <laughs> when that movie came out. It was a movie, a song that I kind of like learned about more because of the movie, actually. And I don't know how I missed it, but. Yeah, and again, maybe we should backtrack for a second here. So so three of us in this call, guess who, had never seen this film before Brad suggested it. You all know the premise of our podcast. Somebody, a guest, picks the movie, yes. and then you know, we watch it. And once in a while, um, it's a movie we haven't seen, and that's both kind of wonderful and terrifying because the terrifying aspect is, oh, no, what if we're on the same page with our guest? So we all watched Beautiful Girls for the first time. I think we all really enjoyed the soundtrack. I think like caveat to the audience, this is a like a Weinstein era Miramax film. And there are some kind of like squicky, icky kind of depictions of things in here. Um, Natalie Portman is in this film. She's 15 in real life. She's 13 in the film. Her character is 13. And there's some things involving her and one of the male leads that are maybe not so great by any standard, but especially not by 2023 standards. So if you decide to watch this movie, you've never seen it before. I think you kind of have to approach it with um, with that critical eye. Even though the soundtrack is very enjoyable, the movie is a little questionable. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> questionable elements. Going back to Brad's point of watching it now versus then, I am seeing it now through the lens of everyone knows Sweet Caroline in 2023. So maybe like back then I can forgive Uma Thurman for not knowing the opening bars, but like, second piano stroke it's like okay i knew even like what that was come on <laughs> by then, maybe it hadn't been played maybe. out in movies yeah. by then because hasn't it kind of become I don't just like so. a, one of those things that gets repeated yeah maybe it's kind of like leonard cohen's hallelujah where in shrek it was new and now it's like uh mm. not again. yeah exactly. i really never heard that song either until shrek or wasn't familiar with it and yet that's now everywhere everybody knows that song yeah, yeah, and for those that don't have not seen the movie, maybe but are familiar with the soundtrack or are interested that so the moment comes when they the character, Timothy Hutton's character in the movie is is playing piano and he plays Sweet Caroline. So he's supposed to be a pianist, he's supposed to be a musician. And so it's kind of this like top gun moment where the whole bar starts singing Sweet Caroline. But Uma Thurman doesn't know what it is initially. <laughs> I mean, let's talk about the cast. Uh Uma Thurman plays a very small part in the film. She like comes and goes like literally mm-hmm. in this movie. I'm just going to go back to Chicago. I would do personally. But, but I mean, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of big names in this film. There's uh, Michael Rappaport, Matt, um, Matt Dillon. Uh, Lauren Holly was pretty big at the time. Yes. Right off of Dumb and Dumber. Right. Dumb and Dumber, Lauren Holly. Rosie O'Donnell. I was like here for everything that she was saying in that like CVS, like convenience store moment. (laughs) Right. I wanted her to like shoot a koosh ball though. (laughs) 
that was like a scene too where i think it really fits the time because she was big at that time i don't know maybe you guys i don't know how old you are and everything but like you could tell that scene was put in there specifically just to give her that moment because that's what she does and that's what people wanted to see and she nailed it like she really knew how to do that 100 percent. it's rosie o'donnell playing yeah. rosie o'donnell yeah. and that yeah, it's like Chris Rock and Lethal Weapon 4 where he does <laughs> yeah. the whole thing about like the rotary phone and you're like, they needed to give him like yeah. a Chris Rock like stand up. Yeah, she was very much like movie. there in kind of like a bit part so they could yeah. put her in the trailers. I think that's probably mm -hmm. fair to say. And then Natalie Portman, like you brought up too, I mean, she was pretty unknown, but I mean, this, I mean, like her role or not, this was really helped kind of catapult her. This was a huge step as far as being an actress and getting known because it was became a decent sized movie and so she took off pretty soon yeah enough. i don't know how many people knew the professional in 1996 yeah, i think that was the only mm -hmm. one before so right i think the professional was maybe even more of an indie flick than this at the time right so that would have been her breakout role and this kind of coasted her to yeah stardom. i feel like most people found out about natalie portman and the professional in college like as one of those big you know, everyone's passing around the movie in the dorm sort of things. It wasn't like, oh, I saw that in the theater in 1994. 100%. That's how I think of a professional as a movie that was passed around in dorms by your film. film yes. You can definitely connect the dots from this film to like Garden State and that whole manic pixie moment. It's like, wow, I can't pin if you're just being like really flighty or if like something is happening. Like I can't pin down what exactly is happening with your character, but this is not normal. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say that her character again is 13 in this film. You do not see a parent, I think, at any point nope. in this movie. So you have to really suspend disbelief that she's just like an unattended minor for the duration. And also, of no this parent film. is like, why is this like I don't know, late 20s, 30 year old, early 30s dude just like talking to her outside of the house like every single day? <laughs> like at no point is a parent like, yeah, hey, I, how's it going? Who are you? <laughs> Who is this strange dude like hanging out windows and like leaning on my car trying to yeah, talk to my 13 year old about, kid? Like some boy in her class. She has no yeah. stranger danger. No. No well, stranger danger at all. You do see her friends laughing at her. It, I mean, they can tell it's uncomfortable too when there's the ice skating scene where she like falls into his arms. And so at least it is like addressed in that way that like they're like looking at her like this is not normal. Yeah, I love how the 13-year-old kids in the movie have uh, more awareness of how <laughs> abnormal it actually is than all of Timothy Hutton's friends yeah. who are just making like various Lolita and like, uh, yeah, other kind of unsavory, like weird jokes, Yeah, even though it's super not funny. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I don't want to, you know, I want to talk about the soundtrack, obviously, but I do want to ask, is that like the stuff that you didn't like about the movie, is that like the main thing or... Should we just get, are there other like lists of things we should get out of the way that you didn't like? About oh, it? I'm just, I'm going to go straight to Brandon. <laughs> One, you're Cast opening with that Miramax logo and EPs, Weinstein. Well, yeah, I even noticed that this time. Like, uh-oh, that's yeah. probably not a good start. No, two. The wow, you can't blame them. On. Two, the title, yeah. Beautiful Girls. I was like, ah, I can already tell this is going to have a little bit of a sexist tone. Also knowing that it's coming off of the Deuteroy High Fidelity. Didn't feel great about women. Three, yep, the whole movie, at least as far as I made it, hates women. Four, the sexualization of Natalie Portman. And, you know, that pretty much sums it up. 
I do want to say though that I think like same screenwriter as as Ryan pointed out to me this and High Fidelity. I think High Fidelity looks like a feminist masterpiece compared <laughs> to this movie, just by like modern through like modern Lindsay. Like the women in this film are very very marginalized. Like and there's such wonderful actresses too that I think since have become um, much bigger than like Michael Rappaport. You hear a lot more about Natalie Portman and Uma Thurman these days. So that it's funny to like see them so on the fringes. It's very much like, this is a male perspective, very much so. Very much that POV on this story. It's a group of dude friends and you get to see everything through their lens, but you really don't know anything about the women in this movie other than how hot they are. Seven and a half across the board. (laughs) Seven and a half. Good solid. Yeah, I mean, like, but parts of that are kind of like, okay, like, I get that that's sort of, it's just maybe aging a little bit like milk, but it mostly for me, it's just like that, that Natalie Portman aspect is very squicky, very squicky. And it's kind of the only romantic tension in the film in a way, because he doesn't give a shit about his super responsible and very respectable, like, professional girlfriend <laughs> from New York. <laughs> He's like, well, I can't wait 20 years for Natalie Portman to grow up, so I guess I'll marry this woman who looks like a seven and makes dinner. <laughs> it's kind of what it came down to. And I was like, and damn. And doesn't tell him to take the sales yeah. job. Yeah, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah, no, like, is... back to what we said earlier, in the 90s really had those like approachable, you know, sort of like friends hanging out, like going to small towns, you know, like reunions or whatever. Like, I liked that aspect. And I don't mind like the male perspective. Like if it was that and that was what the focus was on, you know, like where am I in my career at this point in life and kind of like lightly touched even on like the relationships. Totally here for it. But it's like you're starting out on like bar one of just like really like, hating on your own relationships but for no good reason you know what I mean there was no like explanation of like well why are you unhappy in your relationship and it's literally just comes down to every single perspective was like well my girlfriend's not hot enough <laughs> and it's like okay cool. well right. <laughs> I, I love a fuck up like I love a group of fuck ups like I, that can be really enjoyable in its own way right but there was just like um yeah there was, there was just yeah. not a it's kind of a hard watch. I do. I agree. Boy. I think that um, it is probably not done nearly in enough detail, but I do. I feel like you're supposed to at least think that Timothy Hutton's character does like grow up while he's there. When he leaves, he's like, he realizes that that's not for him and she is the right one. And that could have been maybe a better movie if they focused more on that. But um, anyway, I don't know. I'm just trying to. <laughs> trying to keep it a little positive he's like stop poking holes in my movie (laughs) i can see him i can see the holes it's fine i just i think it's funny that you guys hadn't seen it like i in my head i'm like oh they've all seen it so of course we all know but so that's what that's what makes this so fun and it's unfair really (laughs) to watch something like however many years later and be like well now we can like put it through like the critical meat grinder in like you know the context of weinstein and all that bullshit you couldn't have done that in 96 right so speaking of meat grinder the best joke is she's fucking the meat, the meat cutter and she's a vegetarian one of the characters sides that i do appreciate the irony that is ironic <laughs> yeah also i love martha plimpton in like anything she's great mm-hmm. The cast is great, but some of the dialogue is really great. Like it's got some really like nice arch, funny dialogue. So, yeah, and the one that you, nobody said yet too, 
Uh, Mira Servino is the is Matt Dillon's girlfriend. She's the one that hasn't come up yet. So there's just there's so many different characters and great actors that were in it. That's there, it's a stacked cast. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. cast is fantastic. Uh, Mira Servino being in this is funny to me because I'm like, did somebody look at this and go like, oh, Romy and Michelle is also a movie about a high school reunion. Can we put her in that? <laughs> Seems related. Yeah, the cast is really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I saw the cast rolling through, I was like, really excited. I was like, oh, all of these people together, this is going to be a lot of fun. And then I was like, wah, wah. <laughs> like a music perspective like yeah like super love the soundtrack I think all of the songs were hitting although the Sweet Caroline felt a bit weird but again maybe that's because I'm looking at it from like 2023 but what was weird to me was the score juxtaposed with the soundtrack I thought that like standing on its own the score would be like really really cool and I thought like the soundtrack like love the mixture of like music there but together it felt like very like um not paired up because like the songs are just very like chill vibes and like really fit this like laid back you know like going home to a small town and then this uh, the score is like so melodramatic and like sentimental and it feels like it's telling a different story and i'm getting a little bit of whiplash i'm like over here it's like sentimental and dramatic and over here it's like more like chill 90s and it's like back and forth and i thought that was a little bit interesting yeah not my favorite score (laughs) <laughs> and they seem to try to uh, incorporate that Pete Droge song, Beautiful Girls, which is actually a really good song. I was, yeah, I love uh, that song. I was like really mm-hmm. impressed by it. Pete yeah. Droge is one of those people that like in the 90s, like I would hear the name and I'd be like, oh, like it seems like a lot of cool people like him. But I just <laughs> never got into him. He like he shows up in Almost Famous. Oh, no way. The only real things I know him from are this and then Dumb and Dumber. And so I had that him and Lauren Holly, that connection, like at the same mid nineties there, they're both in two of these movies that I loved. And, um, but I don't know much about him besides that. I appreciate that you brought up the Fairley brothers having like good taste in soundtracks. I think that is overlooked a lot, but their movies usually have really good music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're fun movies and they're fun songs. You brought up the, um, the feel of this. I guess what I liked about this soundtrack too, is it, it's very, a lot of the songs are really like melancholy and I just feel like it fits the vibe. Like these guys are like, they're not, they're sad. They're like kind of pathetic. Mm-hmm. They're all going through stuff and, and mm-hmm. the girls are dealing with them too. So I always felt like the songs are placed really well in the movie. There's a few that I really like where they're at. Um, but it just, the whole soundtrack just gives me the vibe that I feel like the movie was going for. So that's another reason why I liked it. It's a very like melancholy winter, small town. Yeah. The winter movie. part is part of that. Yeah, it's weird to watch it in summer. <laughs> yeah, it's 90 degrees outside watching but kind of these nice. people plow, plowing snow. Yeah, it was like some fun dissonance. I also love that um, I love that Chris Isaac shows up on the mm. soundtrack. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the reasons why I love this CD is because he is one of my all time favorite artists. Um, and so when he came on here, I'm like, well, that's another reason. Maybe that was the reason I actually bought it, even though I already had that song on his album that it was from Mm -hmm. um but he i met i really got to know him in 95 with forever blue and then i went back and got everything he had um so this movie just came out a year later and so like that was all another just timing like chris isaac is one of my favorites and and he's on this and then he was on the tin cup soundtrack i think that was just another year later Hmm. so another soundtrack that i liked a lot that one's very different a little more country-ish 
yeah, Chris Isaac was really dominant in the 90s. And if you were like a teen, preteen in the 90s, like I was, your parents like kind of just thought that he was an Elvis figure. And so they were like totally cool with him, even if they were conservative and strict. So I remember being young and buying Forever Blue, like off of the, remember those listening stations with the big headphones oh, yeah. that they used to have at like the Sam Goody? Like, I'm pretty sure that was the first CD that I ever bought on my own. Wow. I love Chris Isaac. Yeah, he's so good. And I don't know if you've seen him live, but he's he's amazing. Long time ago, like in the actual 90s. <laughs> I love him. I think he's so great. So, so that... underrated. Yeah, no, totally. He's he's super underrated for me. I, I love him. And when I think of like my misspent 90s teenage years, I think a lot about Chris Isaac. So that was a pleasant surprise. I will say, though that as many times as I've watched this and so many of these songs, I said, I feel like they really fit where they're at. I don't remember hearing, I don't know when that song is played in the movie. Like that's one that I don't really even associate with the movie other than the soundtrack part. Do you recall? Cause I remember it coming up. I know that it's played in the film, but I it can't remember be. the exact scene. I feel a lot like a lot of these songs are played like in the car when they're driving. So if you're like paying attention to the dialogue, sometimes you miss the song. Yeah, there's a few of them, like Beth kisses Beth, I think it's played as he's snow plowing. He's actually like, taking the snow away that time instead of pushing it up to her garage and he's crying. I, I love that scene. I love it's a nice scene. It's a nice scene. It's well executed. It's a good song choice because it feels very it also feels very like exactly like what, what that guy would listen to mm -hmm. in a heartbreak moment. <laughs> Because I think earlier in the While movie, he's doing that exact thing. Because he keeps shoving all the snow up to her garage, and I think, uh, I think that's when the flock of seagulls plays at least one of those times. Yes, yeah, so yes. Iran I plays like towards the beginning, and yeah. then you get this towards the end. Yes, it's a nice yeah. um, showing the difference there. His only growth in the film. <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of annoying. I, I definitely <laughs> will agree with that one. But he plays like the part that Michael Rappaport was born to yeah. play. Like well, and that, and you is... probably everybody knows a guy like that, too. So it's like he's he's annoying, but it's because he's kind of realistic, too. Yeah, his character felt very real to me. I, you're totally right. Everybody knows like that guy. I think in some respect, every friend group has that guy mm -hmm. for better or for worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was very real. Uh, I, I feel like Matt Dillon plays the same character he plays in like several films in the 90s, almost like there's a whole like Matt Dillon cinematic universe <laughs> where he plays like the same bum, the same like person in a lot of movies, very similar characters. Uh, not in something about Mary. That's where he, yeah, that's where not he stepped Matt. out. And... No, definitely out of the box and something about Mary. Um, yeah, he's a real lout in this movie. <laughs> He's kind of allowed to do something. I don't think he uses that word a lot, but he's, yeah. you know. He just plays bad. that role well, whatever it is. He does. Whatever that, like, weird area that he occupies is where you're, like, you kind of like him because he's, like, brooding and cool, but then you also hate him because he's just, like, a terrible person. But weren't you also happy to see him in Asteroid City? Like, when he shows up at the beginning, you're like, ah, oh, it's Matt Dillon. No, no, I'm always happy to see a, see a Matt Dillon. Very interesting career, that dude. Yeah. Because this is a point, like for me, I feel like he had kind of fallen off the map from like when he was younger in the 80s. And then he did this and he did something about Mary. And it's like that was like a whole renaissance for him. It's like yeah. Matt Dillon's back now. Are there any songs that you feel like could have been on the soundtrack but aren't? 
That's kind of a weird question. That's a tough question. <laughs> I'm thinking about it and I'm like, why does it feel like there should be counting crows on this soundtrack, but they're not there? Okay, well, if you're going to the 90s, yeah. Well, first of all, I think the, the Chris Isaac song that's on there, I feel like there's other ones that would fit better of his. So that one kind of feels a little bit maybe not the best choice, but I can see counting crows on there. I would agree with that. Maybe. And in the Afghan wigs, because they're in the movie, they get two. Mm-hmm. But they're covers. But they're covers because they're like a bar band in the movie, in the universe of the film. Yeah, they don't really explain what, <laughs> but you know, they're, you know, it's a small town, right? And they're playing in the bar. Yeah, they're just so there. They're not getting the Rolling Stones there. Right. They're the house band. But they're covering Barry White. Maybe I could hear like a Gin Blossom song in there somewhere. Oh, a Gin Blossom song is such a good call. So, that's my answer. Well, it's kind of weird because, I mean, I guess with, like, Pete Droge kind of has a little bit of a throwback sound. Mm-hmm. And then the Afghan wigs are covering, like, Barry White. So it, it it feels like with the music, they're trying not to, like, make you feel like you're in the 90s. Yeah. Like, you know, it's in 96, so you just assume you're in the 90s. And I think uh, in Timothy Hutton's room, there's some, like, Larry Bird posters. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's supposed to make you like pinpoint what time you're in like i guess there's the video game hockey but right i don't think they're supposed to necessarily like make you feel like you know what decade you're in when you're watching this movie that sounds right because yeah i mean there's a lot of older songs in there some are covered and some aren't but i mean those are definitely not from the 90s and those a lot another reason why i like the this uh soundtrack is because a lot of those older songs uh, like me and mrs jones could it be i'm falling in love groove me the stroll i really didn't know those songs before this and i loved them right off the bat so it kind of introduced me to things as well it's got a little bit of that pulp fiction thing going yeah. you know you get introduced to all this music from you know, decades past that you wouldn't have found on your own because, you know, you didn't have streaming or anything like that. And I don't know how I went all these years until I was getting ready for this here. I never connected that the guy who's singing That's How Strong My Love Is is the guy from Fine Young Cannibals, even though you can definitely hear it in his voice. But I just never really uh, made that connection until I was looking into it a little more this time. So when do I get to go on my my big Afghan wigs rant? <laughs> this seems optimal. When you mentioned doing this movie, the first thing that popped into my head was, oh, isn't that the movie where like the Afghan wigs are in the movie? Or they have something to do with the movie? And it must have been like from watching like Matt Pinfield or something on MTV, where he probably was like, oh, here's the Afghan wigs. And by the way, they're going to be in this new movie called Beautiful Girls. That's all I knew about the film. But I was like, oh, Afghan wigs are in it. Like, I am down to watch this movie and listen to the soundtrack. So the Afghan wigs are, they're not from Seattle, though they're kind of known to be part of, like, that grunge movement in the early 90s. Uh, The lead singer's name is Greg Dooley. And so it's interesting that they're doing these, like, very white covers. They're kind of known to be, like, like, a rock band. And I guess as a bar band, it's not like they're trying to sound like Barry White. <laughs> His voice is very different. But uh, he's he has a kind of a cool career. And in the mid-90s, first there was a movie called Backbeat, which no one knows about, which was kind of about the early years of the Beatles, right? But they didn't get, like, 
it's an unauthorized like biography version of the Beatles. So they couldn't uh, get any of the Beatles music. So they just put together this band and it's like Greg Dooley, who did all the Lennon vocals. You had Dave Perner from Soul Asylum, Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth and Dave Grohl on drums. And they did all I think they did the cover songs the Beatles did. You know, before they got huge because they didn't write those songs. So you could just cover, you know, money and you could because those are technically not John Lennon songs, right? And so I remember them playing on like the MTV Movie Awards once and I was like, is that Dave Grohl playing? And then is that the guy from Soul Asylum? And I remember um, loving that soundtrack because it was like, oh, I'm kind of listening to the Beatles, but through like all my favorite other bands lens. Um, so he did that in 94. And then in 1995, the Foo Fighters released their first album. And by the Foo Fighters, I mean Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. So you have t- 12 songs. Dave Grohl plays everything on all 12 songs except one guitar part on uh, the song Ecstatic, and that's Greg Dooley. So he, so he's killing it through these um, 94 through 96. He's in the Backbeat soundtrack. He's he's playing on the Foo Fighters record, and then and then the Afghan Wigs are in this movie. Um, so, you know, I thought I thought it was a pretty impressive three year run for kind of a guy that people are not super familiar with unless like you're a huge 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 music nerd like very under the radar i didn't know any of that stuff about backbeat but i remember backbeat no and i don't know i didn't have any idea that there was anybody else that ever played on that foo fighters record and so i'm glad you know which song it was because i was going to ask you that um i mean that's just awesome because i mean i'm a huge foo fighters fan and now i learned a new fact that i didn't know before and I think I read an interview with him and they're like, oh, yeah, you remember playing on that first Foo Fighters record? He's like, nope. <laughs> He's like, I'm, you know, I'm friends with Dave, so I'm sure it happened. but Absolutely not. Nope. So that's kind of a common thing. Like when I uh, interviewed Craig Ledrin, I was like, oh, you are. Uh, you recorded that uh, X-Files movie version of Walking After You with the Foo Fighters, right? And he was like, uh, maybe. <laughs> and I was like, it says in the credits you did. He's like, I remember playing it on Letterman with them. And I was like, so you were, you probably recorded it with them. That's why Dave had you do it on Letterman with them. I think so. It was a really busy year for me. <laughs> Can't confirm or deny. The other, I think that's what happens when you're prolific. <laughs> the other thing I learned um, in doing this, so kind of at the same time as the Afghan Wigs, is the band, it's, it's credited on the CD as Satchel. And I really like the song Suffering. And when that plays, that was, when does that play? That's right after um, Mira Savino blows off Matt Dillon at the party where Lauren Holly comes in. And so it fits there. But I was noticing too, then on my, on my um, Apple music now too, it says Brad instead of Satchel. And so there's this band that had two different names and um, apparently, um, Stone Gossard was in this band this whole time while he was in Pearl Jam. And I didn't know anything about that either. And I just always liked that song, but I had no idea about any of the background of like who they were. And apparently they, they changed their name because they, they tried a name and then it got like, it was copyright on it because they were naming kind of after somebody else. So it was an interesting story to learn about that little song in there. And once again, that connection back to Pete Droge. Because uh, I believe Stone Gossard and Droge have played together too. 
And it's fun to find all of these interconnected pieces within 90s films. I think that's why they hold a lot of fascination and nostalgia for people like me who are not necessarily, you know, there, there. Like I was there, but I was not as aware of some of these things as people that were a little bit older. I don't think things are really done that same way anymore. It's like Brandis said earlier, it's not done with the same kind of personal care and you don't have these um, collectives of artists that are working in quite the same way. I think things are a lot more risk managed now, let's say. So you don't get this like kind of um, accidental super group that you do in Backbeat. <laughs> it's not easy to arrange um, the Afghan wigs to be in your film, right? So I think that's what's kind of charming about it is you get these like little unexpected surprises that feel very satisfying if you're both a fan of music and movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I believe the Afghan wigs are in the movie because Greg Dooley and Ted Demi are just good friends. Yeah, I think that's what I saw too, right? This is very dark, but apparently Ted Demi, who is Jonathan Demi's or was Jonathan Demi's younger brother, nephew. died really young. Nephew, nephew. Nephew? Okay, sorry, nephew. Yeah, he really died in 2002. Jonathan he like died really young because he took too much cocaine and like played charity tennis. Am I getting that right? Yeah, it's so Blanny, sad. The last the movie he had directed was Blow, <laughs> which was about cocaine. Well, that is not that's so. Yeah, not a great <laughs> precedent for that. <laughs> Grim facts. But yes, very tragic. Before we continue with our episode, here is a word from our sponsor. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is podcasting made easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. So I saw, after finding out that the movie was filmed in Minnesota, even though it takes place in Massachusetts, um, I was really amused that Noah Emmerich is both in this film and in Miracle, so he, it just seems like he likes to film in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And I love him, too. I, he's another part of the movie I love, because he's the most kind of, like, together. He actually has a family, and but then he goes nuts, and he's trying to, like, protect his friends, but he's just an idiot. And, but I, I loved him in the 90s. He's in, he's in the Truman Show, too, and he always shows up with the six-pack, and he just he's one of these guys that's, like, this character actor that he pops up, and and you just like him. Yeah, he, he's good at playing, you know, competent people, kind of a little dorky. Yeah, yeah, he's the dork here, I think, in their group. At least he's, he's probably not really, but in their eyes, he probably is because he's married and has a kid. Yeah, him and the proprietor of the uh, of the of the inn. Yeah, we got apps. You want we got apps. <laughs> I, uh, I did want to ask you both, how do you feel about Minnesota subbing in for Boston in this instance? Does it bug you because you know your home home base so well? Are you like, that's not Boston or Massachusetts? Yeah, I know it's supposed to be set like out in the east, but I never really even 
Like to me, it's it's a Minnesota movie that because but there's so much snow. I mean, do they even have that much snow and snow plowing out there? And so it doesn't really bug me, but that's because I kind of just in my own mind, I'm imagining that it is in Minnesota. And it, I mean, there are no strong like Massachusetts accents, right? Am I? Natalie Portman tried and it was not good. <laughs> tried, but. Yeah, I had um, to check twice yeah. because I'm like, wait a minute, this is can't be. Well, Rappaport always sounds like he's from New York, no matter what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, Factual. he's he's his own thing. Um, so for for me, it's just foreshadowing as a as a Minnesota sports nerd of Boston, just taking all our credit anyway. That's a very good connection. <laughs> they get all the success. I want to say in the beginning of the movie, though, there there's like I think when I think when Mo is driving uh, Timothy Hutton's character to his dad's house, there's a I think there's a Minnesota state flag. Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> and only we would yeah. notice that. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but other than that, you would notice that. Because I, I mean, it's not, not obvious, but if you know the Minnesota state flag, you can see, oh, yeah, there's the flag because, you know, it's. You know it's set here, so you're kind of noticing things. Yeah, see, that's the thing that I was wondering if you guys were clocking bits that <laughs> felt like very distinctly Minnesota and not at all Massachusetts. I, I wasn't trying to, but <laughs> I had to go on and like look up some of the locations and double check like where they were. And I mean, this, that's part of the fun for me too. So, Wikipedia said that part of it was shot in Edina, and I was like, "What Edina are you talking?" I don't about? know about Edina, but the the ice skating was on a lake over like by Lake Minnetonka. So I don't know if maybe they had that mixed yeah, and the up. lake ice skating is a very minnesota thing yeah yeah, yeah that too. i don't know if that's a massachusetts doesn't thing. seem like it no i don't think so we need like a fifth person on this podcast that's from <laughs> from the boston area from the massachusetts area to confirm yeah then there'd just be real fighting yeah that's true and there might be actual fisticuffs duncan could be involved donkeys <laughs> so i had also you had sent this out on a link, but I'd already copied this down to another thing. So I love the soundtrack, but as you watch the movie, there's all these other great songs that aren't on the soundtrack. And I think so many of them are placed at such a great time in the movie too. And that's, that's just another thing. So I don't know, we got, there's a whole list of them there, but like the, you brought up the Rolling Stones and, and I'd love that part. The fool to cry. Um, Honey White by Morphine is in there. Yes. I love that song. My personal favorite is was that. It was like, is that morphine? So great. And then we mentioned the Flock of Seagulls, but I Got You by the Split Ends is in there. Um, mm, that's the great Greg Kinn breakup song is in there. I mean, just and, and they're all like such a time where I just, I don't know. Maybe it's because I've seen it so many times, but I just, I love their placement. I love the songs. And when they come on, I get, I get happy and excited. So. I love the thing that I love about living in like this modern age of streaming. I think this is the thing that I love the most is the kind of like crowdsourcing of people pasting together a soundtrack that never actually existed back in the day, but instead taking this like, uh, I'm just going to make a playlist of like the extended soundtrack of the stuff like that. That's not officially there. I love that. I love that people like take the time to actually go that deep. It's very satisfying to me because it happens a lot where you love something that's on a soundtrack, but it wasn't there in the original cd so your brain when you watch a movie has to be like i gotta like go find that now and that's a whole separate side quest 
Well, and that's, I mean, that just to kind of maybe off here, but when we first started talking a long time ago about, I brought up the movie Never Been Kissed. I never owned that soundtrack. I just, there was like five songs that are played that I like. I love these songs so much. And then I looked it up and like, you can't, you know, you can't get the soundtrack for free. And I didn't own it. So I was going to have to like look it up and put it together. And and that's what I would have had to done to try to listen to that. Um, because a lot of these soundtracks you can't, you can't get in like their original form on the streaming sites, at least times I've looked. You only get certain songs. Right, you only get certain songs. And I think the cover aspect of the Afghan wigs tracks um, on the CD version, on the flip side of this, I think you can't stream them, if I'm not mistaken. I think there might be some licensing hangups with those songs. You can watch them on YouTube. You can watch clips of them being performed in the movie, but you cannot, I don't think you can stream them. Probably not. Yeah, I don't think they've made them available like they didn't do some like best of where they shoved them in there or anything like that. Cause that's what they do with a lot of Spotify soundtracks. They just make a playlist, even for like guardians of the galaxy three, it's just like Marvel's just pulling a playlist from Spotify. <clears throat> but yeah, those Afghan wig songs are not available. And that's a, that's a real shame. It is a shame. And it, that is one of the, that is one of the downsides of streaming is like, yes, you have a lot of passionate people that are looking for things, but a lot of times, you know, they're just not available. And so unless you have that original CD, uh, you are not getting that. So Brandis, now that you're back, I just want to let you know that I have completely changed their minds and we all love this movie. Nice one. <laughs> we got time to mention that Brandis dropped due to technical difficulties, and uh, yeah, Brandis, it was, it was great. <laughs> now we are heartbroken that Timothy Hutton did not end up with Natalie Port- Portman. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's how the movie should have ended. That would have been weird. Where is Timothy Hutton these days? Does he still get cast in things? Because I haven't seen him in a bit, and now I'm starting to think there might be a reason. <laughs> I think he was on a TV show. He had a, oh, he, he got relegated TV to TNT. Is he yeah. TNT? Is he had as a cowboy show or like a procedural? What is it? I don't know. Like maybe lawyers Doctor? or something. Girl. <laughs> Yeah, like the promos are kind of like surfacing in my brain right now, and I feel like it might be a procedural. But he's interesting to me because I knew nothing about him when this movie came out because he he won an Oscar like as a kid, right? And between that and this movie, I don't know anything he did, and I'd never heard of him. So with all these great young people in the cast, he's the one like I kind of knew the least. And and then he didn't do a whole lot after either. We obviously, as we at least not then anybody yeah. remembers much here. <laughs> No, he's like one of those like recognizable faces, but you're like, oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, he you're was not like calling out like... people. Yeah, he won the Oscar, right? Didn't he? Yeah, right. Yep, best supporting actor. He was actor. like in his teens, so it's an interest, interesting. Interesting. Like I feel like that happens a lot to like child actors. Is like they set up these unreasonable expectations when you win at like such a young age, right? And then you're like this prodigy, and then you can just never live up to that standard, and it's kind of like downhill from there. While you guys have been discussing Timothy Hutton's uh, career, I've been trying to Google what the hell he's doing now, and something came up that says from 2022, Timothy Hutton sues after being dropped from Leverage reboot. I don't know what the fuck Leverage is. Does anyone know what Leverage is? Leverage is that TNT yeah, show. Yeah, I think it's a TV okay. show. But <laughs> yeah. It's probably what I was thinking of. Yes. 
I think I've seen like one episode. It is a procedural. If it's a show about lawyers and he's suing, that's funny. <laughs> I don't think so, but it's possible. No, I think it's more about like getting dirt on people to use as leverage before it gets to like an actual court. It's still kind of funny. <laughs> but you know, it's during that whole phase where it's like T and T means drama. Oh yeah, I remember that. But the last thing that he did that I recognize is he was in that Timothy Chalamet movie, Beautiful Boy. Oh, yeah. I watched that movie. Which was like the most depressing thing that's come out in a while, at least that I've seen. That's why I haven't seen it. <laughs> I was waiting because Martha Plimpton has such a very like specific energy and I was kind of waiting for that energy to turn and it never really did. <laughs> I think I wanted all the women in this movie to be a lot angrier than they were. And it, again, it's because I know too much about their like later careers. So I think I was kind of projecting a little bit onto this like super early career film for a lot of these these actresses. Mm-hmm. What is that like Christian um, Slater movie that's like high school and it's like Heather's? Yes, Heather's. I wanted the film to go like full Heather's, like at the end. <laughs> Everybody dies at like the high school reunion. Yeah, a full uh, gross point blank where someone's actually an assassin. Rappaport yeah, yeah. runs him over with a snowplow and he lives. <laughs> it's like a cargo <laughs> moment. Like somebody yeah. gets like, wood chips. Yeah, like that's. Yeah. There were so many dramatic, like cinematic shots on this snowplow that I'm like waiting for it to like come to resolution, right? It's like Chekhov's I, gun. It's yeah. like the snowplow. I did kind of want a grimier ending in a way, but again, like train spotting fans, maybe I just like hate myself or love old <laughs> Or maybe even a more uplifting ending where they need the snowplows to like save the city from like the snowstorm and then they all become heroes. Yeah. Okay, well, this is why we're not screenwriters, first of all. <laughs> I do love, so one guy we haven't talked about, because I don't think, I don't even know what his name is, but he plays Kevin. He's the little guy in the friend group. He's mm-hmm. like my favorite character. And speaking of the ending, I just love when he drives by and says, stay cool forever. That's just, <laughs> I say that all the time to my friends and I just love that guy. So Honestly, justice for Kevin. Yeah, Kevin deserves. <laughs> yes, I He's like the Steve Buscemi of, yeah. of this movie. Good, that's Kevin good deserved more. Yes, I did enjoy his lines. He was good. <laughs> Shut up, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> a spinoff for kevin that would be great yeah so have you seen october road i've never heard of that so sounds familiar yeah so i mean i'm reading this off of wikipedia which uh you know is not always the most um reliable source but scott rosenberg who wrote the movie and I guess this is like loosely based off of like his friend group. He wrote a show called October Road and came out in 2007, 2008. The show is loosely based on what happened after Beautiful Girls came out and how his friends reacted to a movie about their lives. (laughs) Super meta. (laughs) That time I wrote that thing about you being a total pedo. How did you feel about that? (laughs) Now I kind of have to watch that this and see like, hell. So that's an actual movie that was really... Oh, here it is. It's a TV show. TV show. A short-lived okay. one, it seems like. Or was it intended to be like a limited series where he just harassed his friends about stealing their lives and selling them for profit? But, but it's a drama, so it's not even a reality show. I'll have to at least look that one up and see a little more so detail. So it's a drama yeah. about how 
uh, it's a drama about how his friends reacted to this movie that he made. <laughs> so it's like adaptation, the TV show. But didn't they make a TV show following that of how they reacted to the TV show about their reactions? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm simply fascinated by the idea of October Road. I kind of yeah. want to watch it because, again, I think um, mm-hmm. I hate myself. So, I mean, no. Tom Berenger's in it. Laura oh, Prepon. Wow. Like, there's there's oh. some like a okay. There's some. Brandis is like you had me at Laura Prepon. You did. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> what I found interesting about this guy, Scott Rosenberg, is that a lot of these movies he wrote were like action or like these kind of like, you brought up a few of them, but then he was big in the Jumanji movies, which seems like a totally different. Right. I, I brought it's it like, up in the court. be simultaneously the writer for Con Air, yeah. High Fidelity, and like Jumanji 2? What, in what world? I guess. That's yeah, not even the first Jumanji. I yeah, the two new ones. It. Like, get your bag. I, I I can only respect it if you have that level of versatility. I wish I could sell myself out like that. I would love to have some are you, Jumanji Are you fans movies. of the Jumanji movies? I love the first Jumanji. I don't know what you're talking about selling out. If you're talking about the original no, ones. I'm talking about the new ones. No, I'm we're talking about one. the ones with The Rock. <laughs> oh, never mind. Hart. Forget it. Forget it. No, oh my I, God. I thought you were talking about like original, like original Robin Williams. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> they're they're yeah. good popcorn movies. So funny. Okay, totally different. No, not here for Shrek, no. Original Jumanji, absolutely. 100%. I never know which way you're going to swerve, Brandis. <laughs> I mean, Brandis, like, famously on our podcast, hates Jack Black. Oh. So Jumanji, the new ones are, are very oh, much man, a hard I pass love- for her. Yeah. I mean, I get he, he can go both ways, but there's some, I just love him in some things, at least. Too much, too much. <laughs> She's okay with okay, him good. in school. That's of rock, that's the best right there. Yeah. That's I can tolerate school of rock because like that's his character, that's who he's supposed to be. But anything else, I'm like, you could have cast anyone else for this part. <laughs> this is a different podcast. We're not talking about Jack Black today. We're not doing this today. <laughs> not not in the era of peaches. I've been out, so I don't know what you guys have I, talked I, about. I feel like we did about. almost the whole soundtrack part without her, so maybe yeah, you just cut me out of the whole thing. Throw out a few of your thoughts <laughs> on the songs you liked or, or didn't like. I like, I mean, I, I felt pretty good about all of like the songs. Like I said, the only thing that stood out to me was the weird juxtaposition with that and like the score. But even like I said, the score on its own, if I was just watching the score, then I would have liked that too. It was just the juxtaposition of the two was like a little weird, but and I don't know that I loved the placement of like the opening original song, but I liked the song. It was just kind of a weird cold open, I thought. I think I just don't like the graphics on the screen, but it was the mm-hmm. 90s, so <laughs> I can't nitpick too much at at how uh, what fonts they used. No, yeah, you can't pick at that. That was a weird moment in the 90s for those, in early 2000s, even worse. Uh, so rumor is, or I guess it's, confirmed that James L. Brooks was at one point attached to direct the movie. I feel like it would be a very different movie if James L. Brooks was the director. I didn't know that one. And then I guess Leslie Mann, oh, I love who her. people know better and who I guess after like 2005 became just you know, Judd Apatow's wife. Um, she was original. She was uh, possibly going to be in the film. I assume she was it would probably have been 
one of the uh, girlfriends, uh, either Rappaport or uh, maybe the mirror. Or she would have Sarvino been uh, Lauren Holly's character. I love how we have to talk about this movie. I mean, is she'd just have to be one of the pile of girlfriends that <laughs> never really get developed. I want to know who she was going to be and didn't get cast for. Like what part? Because she's so, she's like a steam stealer. She's so fantastic. How do you hide her? Well, I bet. So mm -hmm. I don't, the one girl that's their friend, she's not a big name. I can't think of who she is. Maybe that was the role. Because it's like Mira Servino and Rosie O'Donnell, and then there's and the, the other shorter one. hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm not really sure who she is. Yeah, I could see Leslie Mann in that part. Yeah, mm -hmm. that would have been. I mean, she would have made it better, I think. Or maybe she would have been an age-appropriate next-door neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> she would have been younger. Starring Leslie Leslie Mann is the age-appropriate next-door neighbor. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about Ted Demi's direction. I feel like um, there is definitely some similar DNA with uh, High Fidelity, and that was directed by Stephen Frears, who I think is a very good director. I think I think this movie could have been... I think I could have seen it the way Brad sees it if it was maybe in a better director's hands. And if they axed the Natalie Portman mm -hmm. thing. I think ask the Natalie Portman thing. I mean, keep all the music in play, obviously, because I think the sensibilities around that were correct. And that's probably why, you know, it maintains a, a level of popularity because it feels within the universe, it feels right. But ask the Natalie Portman stuff for sure. <laughs> and then, I don't know, maybe like a less quiet lead. I think the thing about Timothy Hutton is he's a very like naturalistic actor. Um, I don't know, like High Fidelity kind of coasts by on Charm. It's a very different movie. There are aspects of that that yeah, definitely make me mad, right? But I also can't hate it because John Cusack is so great in it. Mm -hmm. But you you texted me yesterday. You said Timothy Hutton is like a charmless John Cusack. He Cusa. is so kind of because <laughs> the, the, the ultimate conclusion is the same. Like, well, I guess I'll grow up and I will settle for someone who is stable and here, even though I kind of hate them which is such a sad conclusion to make about your own life. Like, fuck, that's dark. That's darker than anything in train spotting. <laughs> train spotting is the sequel to this book. Settling for someone that you just kind of think is okay, right? That's going to like cook you dinner and be a solid seven and a half. And everybody knows that you're just kind of like with them because they're there is grim so you don't you don't think he sees her any differently at the end of the movie than when he was talking to the friends i don't know it's hard i don't really see the growth i don't i i mean what I, I i think you have to kind of imagine it but yeah I, it's a big leap it's also <laughs> like a day yeah i know <laughs> between him like actively flirting with 13 year old natalie portman and then deciding like well i guess we're i'm going back to the city with my pantsuited girlfriend who is just good enough <laughs> how hard do you think it was for them to cast the girlfriend like oh we got to find someone that has to be like desirable enough but also within the realm of possibility of him of him not wanting to well this is him. where i'm like i would never make it as an actor because man those casting sessions must have been brutal <laughs> can you be 10 percent less attractive but then also simultaneously 10 percent more attractive maybe a little more subservient too can we do that can we see what it looks like when you when you whisk? <laughs> yeah, tough one. 
Yeah, no, and they and they picked an actress who's another one of those. She's like the that guy, but the that girl of the '90s. Like I know her face, and but Annabeth I also Gish. like. Yeah, thank you. But for the life of me, I can never remember her name. She was, yeah. Well, I forget what she was in because I don't know her very well either. But I know her name. Like it's just it's somebody you recognize, but I couldn't tell you what else she's in. I can't exactly. Think and I think that's kind of the perfect casting, right? Like you kind of don't that's remember true. her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Am I the only one that wanted more time at the reunion? Yeah, yes. I was pissed if they didn't go to the reunion. I'm like, wait a minute. That's supposed to be the climactic whatever. I'm not expecting like a whatever, like stereotypical showdown. But like, could they could have spent well, a few more minutes. And right? actually, as I was watching it, did most of those guys even ever get to the reunion? No. Because they were all like pre-gaming and then the fight happened and then they go, I don't think they even made it, period. No. Yeah, Matt Dillon was just going to watch poor Rich Man, man. <laughs> Oh. Which I thought was a great little character Matt detail. Dylan. I was gonna watch it back I'm to back. So... You gotta watch it with the commercials. Oh and my everything. god, I'm so <laughs> mad at the end. Like again, like you can't be mad in characters at the movie. This is just like the way the story is told. But like so mad at the end that he gets like the shit beat out of him. But the girlfriend Gamera Servino comes back, even though he's been like cheating on her. It's so bad. Like, wow, consequence free Matt Dillon. Well, and and minor consequences for Lauren Hall. Yeah, that's... you're me. You were mean as a that snake. Could, I also wanted a more satisfying conclusion for that, right? It's like that that didn't really get. It just didn't feel like enough. Mm-mm. I think in all aspects, I can see all that. Wow. Annabeth Gish, by the way, was in Mystic Pizza with Julia Roberts. That's like her most well-known role, probably. Mystic Pizza. But that was quite a while before this movie came out, so. I think that's one of the best movie titles of all time. Beautiful girl. It's so great that it's like an automatic punchline almost, you know? Yeah. It's fun to say. So what else do we need to do to this movie? <laughs> I think you covered it. No, yeah. but I'm I'm saying I I think that I, I want I think there could have been a lot more of these guys. Well I think showing growth if they had gone to the reunion i i think if they spent more time there i think we would have maybe gotten the pieces yeah we better to kind and of i think maybe what it is is they're trying to yeah. weave too many different storylines and treat them all kind of equally and if you maybe had like one kind of that was more so given time to maybe that would help honestly i think it's just like one thing i think that the premise like started out in a good place and i think that you had the right like 90s vibe you had the right music i think even the director could have done something amazing with it if you had a different screenwriter who clearly had some sort of like thing with his ex-girlfriend and just started hating women and then like wrote that into the whole story so you just change that element but you still keep it the whole premise just if you change the screenwriter who had, who had right, based this on his own here's life. Here's what we're keeping. Minnesota. Yes. You're keeping, <laughs> you're keeping Minnesota. You're keeping this guy who like went to the big city, like away from his small town and his friends. He's at a crossroads in his life. He's trying to make a decision. He goes home and various things playing out with his friends who stayed home okay. make him realize that he needs to take the so next step. So you just summed up everything you just said and why I love this movie because that that is all the stuff I can relate to. The friend group, the yeah. Minnesota, going home, being in a small town. Those are all the yeah. things that appealed to me. I the Natalie Port I love Natalie Portman in it because she's so good, but that was always weird. Like I'm not I get that. It's <laughs> it was weird. They really towed the line from like this is too bad to like 
just maybe not quite too creepy, but but it's not great. So it's not she's great. She's such a good film. actress. And it was like the first time I'd seen her. So I'm like, oh man, this this girl is great. So I, you know. Yeah, you definitely I fell in love with her as the actress, not as the role, obviously. Of that course. was no, she's absolutely yeah. captivating. She's like always been an an enormous talent from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And you can't say that about very many people. Um but the problematic aspect of that is kind of like the Weinstein aspect of that, right? Like that probably shouldn't have happened to her at 15. Thought I just didn't realize it was going to go down. I thought it was just going to be like, she was just going to be like, like home improvement. She was going to be the neighbor <laughs> on the other side of the fence where he just like tells her, her tells the problems and, you know, and then she, she is, you know, this old soul who's wiser beyond her years. But instead, it was like, oh, I would like marry her if she was like 10 years older. It's like, what? You know, that's you. She, that role could have been the same where she could have just played like an old soul who who guided him to getting better and growing up, but without any of that other. Mm -hmm. Totally. So, and, and we've seen yeah. that kind of dynamic in, in movies before. And that, I think, can be like a very valuable storytelling device. Right. But the way it was played mm -hmm. is super gross. It's bad. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like you have that kid who just speaks plainly, bluntly, like says the things that you need to hear. Like, that's a totally yeah. like precocious, valid, precocious, like, kid. Pre precocious kid next door. <laughs> the home improvement thing is killing me. <laughs> and Ryan's watching it, just like expecting like. Just give her that, that uh, floppy hat. The floppy hat, the lake bucket hat. and the Well, you know, Mr. Feeney, home improvement, like it's all over the 90s. Just having that neighbor next door to like talk some sense into you. <laughs> yeah and i think it could have had that and stayed there and forces behind the scenes took it to a place that it just did not need to go um and unfortunately i think it it kind of sullies an otherwise wonderful little movie with a lot of great writing and a lot of great aspects so suck that out keep minnesota all right so we got it so i've always <laughs> wanted to write a screenplay so now i've got my idea i've got all your notes and that's what i'm gonna go do and look, you've you've already convinced Nicole this was a great film. <laughs> it's in there. Suck that out. I, great movie. Yeah, yeah, I am coming around a little bit more. Um, I, poor Brad. Brad's like, you've ruined my past, no. my future. I, I'm, I, 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 I'm not upset. I think it's fun. It's more fun this way. I will say because I know the movie, I know what's in it, but I'm not even when the Miramax thing popped up at the beginning. I did like right away think, oh shit, this is one of those, huh? But that it's unavoidable also. I know, and none of the, I mean, it's not their fault. But. Right? It's, it, Miramax and Weinstein have thumbprints on almost everything that we love from the 90s and 2000s. So it's it's very difficult to avoid. It's not like we can yeah. totally institute like a no Weinstein policy. Like I'd love to for a lot of reasons, but um, that's, you know, not what this is. You have to just, you know, evaluate it based on then and now and what you like and what you don't and. Uh, try to tell your listeners that you're not cool with certain aspects of the movie. So, like, don't don't come for us on the internet. Don't drop into Twitter. So, if our listeners want to find Pop Culture Yearbook, how can they find you? Uh, we are on all the main ones. So, if you go Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's at Pop Yearbook. Um, take out the culture, just at Pop Yearbook, and we're all on there. Um, and from there, you can find anything you need. And there's a link to our. We have a link tree with all our other links to everything as well you cannot find us on tiktok anymore because we were banned so if you, <gasps> if you had followed us on tiktok um wondered what the heck happened uh it's bizarre i don't get it so 
little upset about that one because we had like twenty thousand followers. I'm like, this is great, and then all of a sudden it was just gone. So, so we're on everything else. Oh, we're on that new Threads too. I haven't posted anything, but we're on there. Pop your book. Very cool. And then you guys are monthly with episodes. Every week, we we go we go one year a month, every but week. we go every month. Every Monday, we're out. Very cool. So, like next month, well, um, we will be doing uh, nineteen eighty, I think. Either that, is that two months? Anyway, there'll be four. There's always four straight from the same year. Okay, so August is going to be the nineteen eighties. No, actually, I got it wrong. It's two thousand eighteen <laughs> is, is August, and then nineteen eighty is September. Okay, cool. I'll check them out. Um, you know. I've been listening to their podcast for a long time. It took us a while to get this uh, episode yes. going, but I'm glad we Thank finally did. Thank you for did. listening. I, I enjoy listening to yours too. And it's good to hear, like like I heard the Shrek one the other day. It's, it's good to hear that. I appreciate the banter. So We really are friends, I promise. <laughs> no, and I never get the sense that you're not. So that's it's, it's done very well. And now we're all in the same, we're all in the same circle of trust. We're in the, you're in the trust tree now, Brad. Thank you. I, I love being <laughs> yeah. on. Well, and you can find us on Twitter at soundtrack underscore your and on Instagram at soundtrackcast. And uh, we will, this will be our first episode in August. So. Well, thank you again, Brad. Thank you all. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for being and, uh, such a great sport. <laughs> yeah, I had fun. Yes, thank you. It's a great chat. And if we uh, if we do another uh, episode with you, we will let you know if we've seen it or not. That'd probably be a good <laughs> start, right there. <laughs> <laughs> we could do the right, vacations thanks. for the next one. I'd love to. Yeah, we. <laughs> And I understand that, like I said, I didn't know you guys had never seen it. So seeing it now for the first time, I mean, I, I can see that. That did make sense more than if you had seen it back then, maybe. Again, I feel like I feel like we're also going to we're gonna need to change some things now. Like Ryan's going to need to tell people when we've never watched a movie. Like, hey, please feel yourself for like what our weird opinions are going to be on this thing that we've never seen. Especially, Especially me. I come in with my own warning before the podcast. My superpower is ruining things for people. <laughs> Yeah, any anytime Brandis is going to be on the podcast, I should be like, just so you know, Brandis is going to be. Yeah, there. she's going to hate it, and then she's going to bring up how she hated everything that we've ever made her do for this podcast. <laughs> I feel like there's at least one movie that I said I liked at some point. There has to be, but it makes it more fun. You liked Moulin like, Rouge. Yeah, I like yeah, you like Rouge. Rouge. I'm the only person in the world who likes Moulin Rouge. <laughs> but it's a lot more fun when we mm -hmm. when we debate. Like, how boring is it when we're all like loved it? Is. it? Mm -hmm. So we we did a thing with the vacation movies because I love the vacation movies, but we have one friend who loves European vacation the best of the four. And we're like, that is the, that's like the worst that's movie ever. Wrong. But he came on and he gave a very understanding uh, reasoning for why, because he saw it first. And it was just it was these little yeah. things and I didn't agree with them at all. But it was fun <laughs> to hear him argue it and like I got a different perspective and that's kind of what's happening right here. The so. only scene I have seen from that movie is the roundabout scene. <laughs> and I think yeah. about that every time that I'm on a roundabout. Although for the record, I am very <laughs> pro roundabouts. I love them, but I think about that movie. That's every one time. of the only, that's one of the only memorable yeah. parts of that movie. So. <laughs>
And soundtrack wise, uh, Holiday Road is oh yeah, one of my favorite. Oh, songs. top Christmas top banger, Christ- so good. Christmas Vacation has a good soundtrack too. Oh yeah, Ray Charles. Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's so funny. You need to yeah tell your friend he's objectively wrong, but it's good to oh, be talking about things many times. Ah, <laughs> uh, so thank you, Brad, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am sorry we we uh, ruined your favorite or one of your. No, it's it gives me a new perspective of which to grow from growth mindset. Yes, thanks so. for letting us amuse you for a few hours. <laughs> it, I know. It, I'm sure it made it much more um, interesting to be a part of or to listen to as well. So, I feel like we just set fire to like all of the 1990s. So we're very sorry to. Yeah, Brad. and you know, hearing that Brandis doesn't like any movie that makes me feel better. So you should. You're in good company. Honestly. I don't feel you as are... attacked personally. Great company. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, soundtrackyourlife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.